The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Toroso Investments, uh, which is a firm that specializes in exchange-traded funds and other kinds of interesting investment uh, strategies. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you very much, Jordan. Let's just start with your background and uh, how you, uh, your world, your, your experience in the investment world, and how you helped create Toroso and how it's gone from there. Okay. Um, so we started Toroso about three years ago now, and we started the firm to really help people invest utilizing ETFs in ways that we didn't believe were being done in the marketplace uh, to date. Um, my background was I came from the more hedge fund slash mutual fund world where we did in-depth research on 30 securities and, and bought individual portfolios. And that world worked very, very well until 2008. And in the uh, wake of 2008, I saw the opportunity in the ETF market to use that same kind of research and thought process but apply it to a marketplace where most people have made their decisions on how to invest on an ETF, basically on the expense ratio and the volume. And I think there's a lot more to it than that. And we'll get into that in some great detail. Uh, tell me what Toroso means. What, what are the words, uh, what is the meaning of that term? Sure. So Toroso is a, a word that we actually created to represent what it is we want to do for our investors. For in Spanish, Toro is bull, Oso is bear, and we wanted to create asset allocation methodologies that do well for investors in both bull and bear marketplaces. And maybe just do a little basic on exchange traded funds. We're going to talk a lot about ETFs. Just talk about the basics of what an ETF is and how it's different from mutual funds that people may be more familiar with. Uh, that's a great question. So. In reality, ETFs are created under the same law that created mutual funds. There's very little that differentiates a mutual fund from an ETF, except for the exemption from one rule. In the 1940 Act, um, the SEC stated that a mutual fund company would have to price on it once a day. And what ETFs are are mutual funds that trade and price every second. And that exemption or that difference is very, very important because what it allows a ETF to do is to have options listed on it, daily liquidity, and most importantly, transparency. At any given second, any investor can find out what is in the ETF that they own um, down to the last penny. And that transparency is why they tend to trade based on an index. An index is just the mathematical uh, formula or equation to get exposure to a specific area of the marketplace. 
Most of us invest in index funds today in the mutual fund world. They're usually what builds up our 401ks. But in the ETF space, indexing is really the key to how we invest and how we get exposure to things. And then the final difference that is often touted for ETFs as to why they're different from mutual funds is the way that they rebalance is done at a market maker level, which really means when they go to take the portfolio and change it to match a change in the index, it's not done within the fund. It's done at, a, at the market maker level, which often prevents uh, taxable distributions from being created. So even ETFs that may have 900% turnover very often have zero capital gains to distribute at the end of the year. So are they rebalancing every day? Because obviously every day all the stocks in the portfolio are going up and down. So to keep the index, they're having to rebalance? Or, or how do they rebalance their portfolio to keep it to the index? So the indexes float with the investments. Uh, most ETFs rebalance quarterly. Uh, some rebalance annually, some rebalance weekly, and very, very, very few rebalance daily. But as the world evolves, we're seeing more and more of that. So one of the main points of your firm is to take advantage of inefficiencies that you are seeing in the exchange-traded fund world. Is that correct? That is correct. So maybe just start off with, before we solve them, let's figure out what are some of the inefficiencies that you see in the ETF world? Because most people think of it as probably the most efficient place out there. These are index funds. They're just following an index. Their management fees are very low. What could go wrong? How could these things possibly be inefficient? Sure. So it's funny because that's how I got to looking at ETFs as an investment. In uh, 2005, at my previous firm where we did look at in-depth research on individual securities, we had a position in Newmont Mining, which is, you know, one of the largest gold mining companies. And basically the way most people invested or got exposure to gold uh, before the advent of ETFs. In 2005, we watched that position decline rapidly while gold continued to go up. And there was no fundamental reason for it. There was no technical reason for it. But what we discovered was when we reached out to some of the other hedge funds and mutual fund companies that we did business with, we said, are you guys selling this? And they said, yes, we are. And we said, why? And they said, because now we can get exposure to gold directly in the form of an ETF. And so what we realized on that day was whether we ever bought an ETF, we needed to be aware of what ETFs were doing because they would affect the valuation of individual stocks. And so as we've seen the ETF market grow and change, we have seen a number of anomalies come to place that can create great opportunities for the proper investors, people that are really looking under the hood and seeing what's there. But they also have created some big problems for people who aren't aware of how these things are constructed. Um, I can go into a number of examples. We're, we're, we're going to go wanna... into yeah, we're going to go into great detail. I just want to ask first. One of the things about ETFs is they have big cash flows. People putting money in, people taking money out. Now, in a traditional mutual fund, an open-end mutual fund, the fund manager has to buy more shares when money's coming in. He sells shares when things are down. So there's a kind of a asset-weighted uh, risk, and, and it affects people's returns because they're buying more shares when their prices are high, selling them when they're low. 
that does not really affect ETFs. But there are cash flow changes as money coming in and out of ETF. How does that those cash flow changes affect uh, what's going on with an ETF and its valuation? So that's that's another great question. Uh, the idea behind original indexing, and a lot of this comes from Burton Malkiel and Vogel, you know, 40 years ago, thinking through how do we get these exposures. And when indexing really first started, it wasn't created to be an investable universe. It was created as an educational tool. It was created as a tool to allow us to benchmark our ideas to or to start from. And as it became an investable tool, as there became the existence of mutual funds that used indexes and, and the massive growth of ETFs in the last 10 years, the indexer companies have actually changed how they do business. Um, what you're really referring to is you know, the idea of market cap weighted indexes and by being market cap weighted, the flows of money in and out should not affect the value of the stocks because it should be in line with their value in our economy. What's occurred, ironically, is as indexation has moved from being an educational business to a asset gathering business, the indexers or index companies have changed how they construct the indexes. The largest change is float adjustment. And float adjustment means we're not just going to look at the market cap of the company, we're going to look at the market cap of the company and subtract out the float that of the company that's held by insiders or that's not really trading. When you do something like that, what you've really done is you've reduced the exposure in indexed linked products to companies where there's high insider ownership or high buyback of securities. It's actually very counterintuitive. So the, the, that's a very long answer to the question, but the truth is indexing is set up so that it doesn't affect from cash flows. That said, that setup has created certain inefficiencies and has taken away uh, some of the value and good companies in the indexes that should be there. So you're saying that companies where the insiders own a lot of shares or they're buying back stock all the time so that the float available to the public is smaller, dramatically smaller than the overall market capitalization, are underweighted in index funds in a way that people are probably not familiar with. That is completely accurate, yes. Uh, the simplest example would be something like Walmart or Berkshire Hathaway. They're participating in indexes, but not at the level that they participate in our economy. And the indexes are really supposed to give us exposure to the companies in our economy at their weights. If they did that, they couldn't take in as much assets, and therefore they couldn't charge such low fees. Give me a sense of how big and how important indexing is these days, both uh, ETFs, uh, mutual funds. How big and how big an influence is indexing on the overall market today? Well, um, I would love to know the answer to that question because uh, it does come up often. What I can tell you is ETFs, on average, own about 5% of every stock in the United States. In terms of indexes as a whole, it's nearly impossible to calculate the number. I've heard numbers as low as 15% and as high as 80%. Uh, the reason it's so difficult to know how much indexes are driving is 
many mutual funds hug indexes or or replicate or slightly tilt indexes, as well as there's massive amounts of institutional money that follows indexes, but aren't necessarily reported to or required to report that that's how they're investing. My opinion is indexation represents somewhere around 50% of the investable marketplace today. But in terms of ETFs, it's about 5%. And in terms of the volume, it's close to 40% today. Now, some people say that traditionally people look at indexes, and particularly passive indexes, they're not trying to beat the indexes, the, the overall market, that those beat actively uh, managed mutual funds over almost any period, one year, three years, five years, and the longer you go, the more chance there is that a passive fund is going to beat an actively managed fund. And therefore, that is kind of causing people to put more money into passively managed index funds, kind of imp uh, re-emphasizing the weight they already have. Is that a correct anticipate, uh, participate, um, uh, explanation of what's going on today in the markets? Yes, I, I would say the, the situation is self-referenced. It definitely... Uh, builds upon itself. And, you know, mathematically, we can go back and look and see, do active managers outperform and when do they do and when is it consistent and all those sorts of things. Um, the process of people moving towards indexation definitely is self-fulfilling. It, it definitely builds the returns in the indexation field. I do, however, believe there are intelligent active managers out there that can add value. Um, the key with that is looking to see how much they overlap with an index. Right? It's very, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pay a manager to buy you securities that you can get for five basis points in an index. However, finding the areas of the marketplace where indexation doesn't work, mainly illiquid securities, emerging market securities, small cap securities, that's places where active managers really, really add value, and also I would say in the alternative space. Um, it's very difficult to take a portfolio of managed futures and index it. Yes, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Toroso, which is called Point of View Investing. Uh, their website, by the way, is torosoinv.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Toroso Investments, based in New York. Uh, their website is torosoinv.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you, Jordan. Now, you have a mutual fund uh, that you put out, which is called the Toroso Target 8 Strategies Fund, correct? Which has various ways of profiting from ETFs no matter what the economic circumstance. You have a strategy that's part of it for prosperity, if there's a lot of inflation, if there's a lot of deflation, if there's a recession. Maybe just explain how this kind of complicated mutual fund works and how it should do better than indexes that you're comparing it to. Okay, thank you. Um, so the name of the strategy is the Target 8. Uh, the actual fund name is Toroso Newfound Tactical Allocation Fund. And it really comes off of the two core philosophies that we built Toroso on. And our philosophy in part one is using asset allocation that's focused on clients' life-adjusted time horizons. Now, what that term really means is if we all did what we're told to do in, in college and by Burton Melchior and all those folks where we just bought stocks in an index format and didn't touch them for 40 years and didn't look at them, didn't do anything but just wait until that 40 years was up, we'd all be very well off. That's the true time horizon that, that modern portfolio theory and, and um, uh, it tells us to really focus on. The reality is most of us have things that occur in our lives like births, deaths, marriages, divorces, career changes, opportunities to be an entrepreneur. And those things tend to take us out of the market or our savings away from the exposures at the incorrect times. And that doesn't even account for the emotional decisions we make when something like 2008 occurs. So the first part to our fund is to use an asset allocation methodology known as the permanent portfolio theory. So what we've done is we've taken the ideas of Harry Brown, which was to take the four economic conditions that really drive returns, that would be prosperity as a bull market, recession as a bear market, inflation and deflation, and we find ETFs that can represent those conditions and we equal weight them. The second component of the strategy is to really deep dive into each of those four components and find ETFs that can express those ideas in interesting ways, 
in ways that can add alpha to the portfolio, in ways that avoid some of the inefficiencies that we discussed earlier. And then the third component is we work with a firm called Newfound Research that tilts the portfolio. So I noted that we start by equally weighting these four economic conditions. What Newfound does for us is they help us tilt the portfolio towards more cash or towards more equities or towards more commodities, depending on the momentum of each of those conditions. The net result is we look to build a portfolio that's true to our name, Toroso, Bull and Bear, that can do well in all economic environments. And it's never going to be a fund that looks to hit huge home runs. What we're trying to do is not lose money for the clients and make them a good rate of return. The Harry Brown concept of the permanent portfolio has been around for close to 40 years, and it's annualized around 8%, with about a third of the volatility of the stock market. Uh, we hope to deliver that in a very intelligent way um, in the mutual fund format. Is the tilting one way or the other based on a projection of are we going into an inflationary, deflationary, prosperity, uh, recessionary period? I mean, they're, they're, these uh, quarterly quartiles are kind of, as you're saying, neutral, but mm -hmm. they're basing how to tilt it based on their predictions of what's about to happen. Is that right? So they use a quantitative model that is looking at the momentum of each of those areas. So it actually comes back to the idea of where money is flowing. Um, so if the equity market were to sell off the first four or five percent of that, the fund would probably participate in. It's the next five to ten percent that we don't. So it's utilizing momentum to see which economic condition is prevalent in the marketplace today. And the momentum is based on the price action of the ETFs in that sector, not uh, cash flows, not people buying and selling, but on the price action of those areas. Is that right? That is correct. And so what is it showing lately? How is the, what is the tilting uh, showing uh, with they're going into and de-emphasizing other areas? Sure. So currently, uh, the fund is overweighted towards equities and long-term bonds. Um, ironically, last year, long-term bonds was our best-performing asset class, and it was overweighted for most of the year as well. The underweights are towards cash and commodities or inflation beneficiaries, and I think it's probably pretty evident why that's occurred with the uh, very quick decline in energy prices over the last three to four months. And so uh, how often is the a portfolio rebalanced or tilted uh, based on their projections? So what we did was we did not want to take away from the original concept that Harry Brown had created. So we put strict governors on the fund where it can never go more than 50% initially allocated to any of the four buckets and never less than 12.5% in any of the four buckets. So last year we had about seven different tilts and most of the time we're tilting 5% here, 5% there. Um, the tilts tend to happen more often when things are volatile and substantially less often when uh, the marketplace itself is in a calm phase. How can people find out more about that fund and if they want to get it? Apparently they can't get it directly. They have to get it through advisors. Tell people how they can sure. find out about that. 
So we are available at Fidelity and Schwab and TD Ameritrade and E-Trade and anybody who works for Pershing. But what we did is we created this fund for advisors to use as a tool for their clients. I don't believe what we created is intended for 100% of somebody's uh, assets. What we've created is a fund that an advisor can use with you to allocate a portion of your money that you're trying to keep safe but still participate in the marketplace. So in a, you know, we're at the major places where uh, registered investment advisors work. We're also available at places like Jefferies and Credit Suisse and um, Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan. Um, but, yes, it's definitely a product that we suggest working with an advisor to access. And how long has it been out and what kind of performance have you had so far? So we've been out about a year. Uh, the one-year number is right around 4% right now. Um, we had a spectacular January where the market, the market as referenced as the S&P 500, was down almost 3%, and we were up about 2% in January. This is, like I said, not a fund that we expect to keep up with the market in a year where it's up 35%. Um, it's a fund that we expect to be up you know, 5 to 12% in that kind of year. But in a year when the market sells off 35%, we expect to be flat to slightly up. So we're, we're really looking to fill that niche. We're trying to utilize ETFs to give uh, normal investors the kinds of returns that people usually pay 2 and 24 to a hedge fund. So there'd be two levels of fees. You're buying ETFs, so there's an underlying fee at the ETF, mm-hmm. and then there's a management fee for the fund itself. So what are the, all the management fees add up together? One one point six, I believe, is the exact is the exact number today. That does change based on the ETF fees. The fee that we charge on the no load share class is one twenty five, um, and then there's about twenty five basis points of ETF fees. That said, ETF fees are one of those anomalies that aren't exactly accurate. Um, you know, people look at ETFs and say, "Hey, it had tracking error." Well. Tracking error can be a positive number or a negative number in terms of its return to the actual portfolio. There are many ETFs out there that, outside of their expense ratio, beat their index, and it has to do with how they rebalanced or whether they engaged in securities lending and things along those sides. So I'm not looking to mitigate the fact that there is 25 to 35 basis points of acquired fees in buying ETFs within a fund. That said, the expenses of going out and buying the individual securities and exposures that we get through these very effective ETFs might be higher than that, and that would not have to be showed. So what is the realistic benchmark that people should compare uh, this fund against? Are you supposed to compare it against the S&P 500 or... What are you supposed to be comparing to see how it's doing? So um, I think Morningstar puts us in their moderate conservative uh, bucket. Uh, The real goal is over five-year periods to get you somewhere between 5 and 12%. Um, So I would say it's it's hard to give a, a single security benchmark to the fund because most most single uh, benchmarks are, you know, exposure to one thing. Uh, we do publish on our website index versions of the fund 
or the concept where it's only using four ETFs to express it so that we can illustrate exactly what we've done in the security selection process. Um, now, and those people, indexes go back about 38 years now. If people don't want to do the mutual fund, they can also do the same strategy through separately managed accounts. Is that correct? That is accurate. And when we do it as separately managed accounts, we actually offer, not to get super complicated, but uh, we offer two different kinds of versions. We offer the version that's similar to the mutual fund, where we allow newfound to tilt the portfolio for you, or we offer five different portfolios where you can choose whether you want a neutral stance, a prosperity stance, a deflation, recession, or inflation stance. I see. So the investor can choose which uh, tilting they wanted to have, in effect. That is correct. Interesting. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He is the chief investment officer at Toroso Investments. Their website, if you want to, want to find out more about what we're talking about, is torosoinv.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Toroso Investments. Uh, their website is torosoinv.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you, Jordan. So one of the key things you, reason you created Toroso was you saw a lot of inefficiencies and anomalies in the whole world of exchange-traded funds. So I just wanted you to explain some of those and maybe 
as an investor, if you understand those inefficiencies, how you may be able to, be able to profit from them. And the first one is in the small cap area. In small companies, there are inherently more inefficiencies than in larger companies, which are more liquidly uh, traded. So explain the inefficiencies in ETFs relating to small cap stocks. Okay. So um, one of the things that we noticed when we were starting Toroso was how people looked at the name or how people looked to invest in ETFs really focused on the name of the company backing it, um, the expense ratio, and occasionally the volume. And so with that, it may sound like I'm beating up on some of the larger companies uh, out there in this space, but in reality, they all create good product as well as some products that have inefficiencies. So the one that really stands out is the Vanguard small cap ETF. Uh, they use an index that when you calculate the exposure to small caps, and I'm using a, this kind of the CFA definition of small caps, it turns out that their small cap ETF is around 72% invested in mid-caps. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we see very often when people are trying to create indexes that can hold substantial amounts of assets so that they can get away with only charging seven basis points. Now, is that because they bought these stump companies when they were smaller and then the companies grew to mid-cap but they never took them out? No, um, it's because of the way that they created their indexing rules they allow for larger companies to be in there. Um, and they, they own what they say they were going to own. Um, but when you compare their exposure to small caps to, let's say, the Russell 2000 or the S&P 600, the, the more well-known ways of getting exposure to small caps, well, those indexes are somewhere between 70% and 80% invested in small caps whereas the Vanguard version is less than 30% invested in small caps. It's just the and way they're when, defining it. They're defining what a small cap is as yeah. a higher capitalization than others. They're defining it as a smaller capitalization. Absolutely. And then when you look at the actual ETF ownership of some of these securities, you see that the numbers become very, very high. Now, I mentioned earlier that, on average, ETFs own about 5% of every stock. When you look at some of the top names in the Vanguard Small Cap Index, you'll see that some of them are owned by ETFs north of 15%. What that tells me is that there aren't investment managers looking at these securities and saying, you know what, this is worth paying 25 times earnings for or 32 times earnings for. What that tells me is that those companies are having assets allocated to them and their valuations affected simply because they fit into Vanguard's definition of what a small cap is. So just to and kind of I recap believe... that, you're saying that some of these companies, which people think of as small companies, in fact, are kind of mid-sized companies, are getting a lot of money put uh, into them by these exchange-traded funds, particularly the Vanguard, making their valuations higher, not because of what the company's doing, but just because they're part of a, an index that's kind of ballooned out of control. Absolutely. Um, we saw that actually occur last year with a small-cap um, MLP company. Uh, it was, it's not related to me, but it was called Tesoro Logistics, uh, which means treasure. It doesn't mean bull and bear. But that particular company had 
close to no ownership by ETFs uh, because it was a small cap MLP. And last year, in 2014, it became a mid to large cap MLP and then was placed into the Alarian Index. The Alarian Index is the largest or most commonly followed index for MLPs. The security immediately jumped from $50 to, to $70. Just and because it's, it's part of the index. Yes. Yeah. Nothing changed at the company, you're saying, just because it was part of the index. Nothing changed at the company. But it's gone from being owned about less than 1% by ETFs to over 11 So is, uh, the way to profit from that is to see companies that are not yet owned by indexes that you think are going to be owned by indexes and buy them before they get part of the indexes? Is that what you're saying? I think that's a possible strategy. It's not one that I have adopted as of yet because the rules of indexing change all the time, right? We, we saw MSCI and, and others change their rules this year based on the fact that nobody, no ETFs or indexes owned Alibaba, right? It was a Chinese company that was listed in the United States. Which index do you put it in? So they all changed their rules. Um, so I think it is a way to profit but I also think it's a very complicated way to invest. So how do you take advantage of that in a simpler way? Uh, by looking for indexes that complete a core. So if I have exposure to the broad-based marketplace and I'm missing some of the things that I'm interested in, if I'm underweighted to things like Berkshire Hathaway or um, Icon Enterprises because Carl Icon owns 96% of the float, how do I get that exposure? And the nice thing is, with the growing changes in the index business, people have come up with indexes that are based on the characteristics that active managers tend to seek out. So the most successful example would be from PowerShares. They have an index, an ETF, that focuses on companies that are buying back their own shares. So that allows me to go buy a broad-based index like the Vanguard Total Market Index, get exposure to the marketplace, but then enhance that exposure by using another transparent vehicle from PowerShares to get uh, overweights towards the companies that I'm interested in. So what kind of extra return, or as you would call it, alpha, are you going to get by doing it that way as opposed to just buying the broad-based index? So, you know, I know uh, we're never supposed to talk about looking backwards, but the, <laughs> the buyback index has substantially outperformed traditional market cap-weighted indexes. It doesn't do it every year, but since its inception, it's, it's north of 200 basis points, um, mm -hmm. and that's net of the, the expense ratios. So is there a specific fund, an ETF, that does buybacks, and what would be its symbol so people can look up that? Sure. Um, the most well-known one is from PowerShares. It's called PKW. That's Paul uh, Kite Walter. Um, and it's about $2.7 billion invested in that index. They recently launched an international version of it, and I believe State Street just launched their version of a buyback index. So these are companies in it that buy back a significant amount of their shares? Yes. Yes, and there's other things like this out there. Um, uh, Guggenheim and Direction both have e indexes and ETFs that focus on insider buying. Uh, Global X has 
the Guru Fund, which looks at the 13F filings from hedge funds and buys the securities that uh, that, that are conviction holdings of hedge funds. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners have looked at like Guru Focus and things like that before. They're not affiliated, but it's a similar concept. Um, there's another one called Alpha Clone that does something similar. There's the iBillionaire Index. There's a spin-off index. There's an index of companies that go through stock splits. There's a wide mode index. The last three or four years in indexation have really opened up the door to get alpha from passive vehicles. And, so do you uh, think in, in general these, these uh, index, uh, these ETFs deliver on what they're promising as far as prom they promise a higher rate of return? Have they in fact been delivering that? So, so I would say there's kind of a two-part answer to that. Um, they deliver exposure to a characteristic. It's the job of money managers and advisors like myself to decide if it's the right time to focus on that characteristic. Uh, historically, over you know long periods of time, these indexes have outperformed irrelevant of whether you picked it the right time or the wrong time. If you held it long enough, they seem to outperform. Um, that said, I think it's better done by people who are really looking at the characteristic and making sure that when they say they're buying buybacks, they actually are. Isn't there somebody looking over their shoulder, like a board of directors or the SEC or somebody who's going to make sure that they're doing what they say they're going to do? Yes, but all they have to do is follow the rules that they set up for themselves. And, um, you know, unless uh, you're having trouble sleeping, most people don't read prospectuses. Um, for example, there are some volatility-linked products out there where the prospectus essentially says the product will go to zero over time. And yet people still buy that. Uh, so <laughs> so it, it's not a necessarily meaning that they don't have to disclose it. It's just a matter of whether or not you have the time to read 40 pages of uh, legal speak to figure out if the rules that they've set up for themselves will get the results that you're interested in achieving. What would be some of these so-called characteristic ETFs that you just talked about are you liking now? Maybe just one or two examples that you think are well positioned in the current market. Um, so one that we like quite a bit right now is that buyback index. Um, we have a position in it in our fund, and another one that we have a position in our fund. Since I've already talked about the buybacks quite a bit, is the spinoff index. Uh, spinoffs are something that at my previous career we wrote a lot about. It's a market inefficiency not just because of indexation, but just in general terms, right? If I'm a company like oh, Anheuser-Busch and I spin off my pretzel business, well, most managers look at that and say, I know nothing about pretzels. I'm, I, I bought a beer company, uh, so they sell it. And then there's price discovery for this company for the first time. And the other thing that's really interesting with spinoffs is it's career-changing, Quite often, a spinoff is done to take somebody who was the president of a division and turn him into the CEO of his own idea. And, so it, uh, you're buying in these ETFs, you're buying these companies before they spin off on, or after they've actually announced they're going to be a spinning, spinning something off? After it's spun. It's, it's not a perspective. You think they should spin it off and you're going to try to profit. Because often when these spinoffs are announced, that'll make the stock go up in itself. 
Yes. It's, it's the actual spun-off companies after they've been spun out. There are other indexes out there that look at both, but the only product that currently exists buys them after they're spun out. So you end up with a lot of companies from people like John Malone with Liberty Media. You end up with uh, very interesting companies that are essentially orphaned from traditional indexation. I see. So what you're buying are what is spent, spun off, not the original company it was spun off from. So this is kind of the, the widows and orphans fund, but this is just for the orphans, I guess you might say. Yes. yes I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of finding the orphans and nur nurturing them. <laughs> I see. Very good. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. Uh, he is the chief investment officer at Toroso Investments. Their website is Toroso, T-O-R-O-S-O-I-N-V.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Venuto. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Toroso Investments, which is a firm doing mutual funds and ex ex particularly expertise in exchange-traded funds. Their website, if you want to see more, is torosoinv.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you, Jordan. Now, there's a whole concept that people are talking about these days called smart beta. Maybe explain what that is. Is it legitimate, and how can one profit from it? That's a great one, too. Um, so uh, smart beta is a marketing term. 
if you go and try and look up the, what the definition of smart beta is, you will not find an answer that makes uh, that seems to come off from a legitimate site. Uh, I know Investopedia does a little bit of an explanation on it, but that's about it. It's not in our textbooks. It's nowhere like that. But smart beta as a concept is very simple. It's tilting indexes away from market capitalization and towards some sort of fundamental weighting. So the most well-known concepts in smart beta are dividend-weighted indexes or indexes that are weighted based on revenue or weighted on on a couple of different fundamentals. Essentially what they do is tilt an existing market cap ETF towards fundamentals that should be more attractive than a traditional index. And uh, So the idea is, without being weighted like this, just because a company is big and is popular and has a big market capitalization, it tends to kind of uh, overwhelm the index. Apple would be a good example, where it's extremely popular and it's going to have a heavy weighting in an index just because it's big and popular. And that's kind of getting that out. Is that the idea? That's the idea. And like in a year like last year, where the S&P 500 was up around 12%, well, that wasn't a good year for many smart beta indexes because a lot of that 12% return came from Apple. Yeah. And so the market capitalization weighted indexes way outperformed the smart betas last year. From Toroso's point of view, smart beta indexes or ETFs that claim to use a smart, smarter version of an index are valuable, but they have to be evaluated. And we have two things that we look at when evaluating them. Number one for us is what's their active share. So if I take a smart beta or tilted index that is supposed to give me exposure similar to the S&P 500, I want to see how much overlap that index has with the S&P 500. And if it's substantial, then I want to see how much different is the expense ratio. So if I can buy the S&P for five basis points, I'm not very comfortable paying 54 basis points for something that has 85% overlap with the S&P. So, so you're saying there are, there are times when uh, the expenses aren't going to be that bad and the overlap isn't that much, it might be worth it to pay extra for it. Yes. So the one that we use today is a revenue-weighted index, right? So what it does is it takes – the one we're using is RWK, which is focused on the S&P 400. And what it does is it takes that well-known mid-cap index, the S&P 400, instead of weighting it on, on – um, market cap, it weights it on top-line revenue. Now, we're not saying it's the best idea forever, but in today's environment where margins are stretched, right, since 2009, sales are up about 20% for U.S. large-cap companies. But revenue or, or earnings are up 80. That's all margin expansion, and it's a hard thing to keep going. By taking mid-cap companies and weighting them on revenue instead of on market cap, Toroso believes that we're getting exposure to the companies that are most likely to be taken out or purchased, acquired by large-cap companies looking to keep their margins high. So in order for you to figure these things out, you have to do a lot of detailed analysis of these ETFs to see 
how they're weighted, what their fees are. I mean, this is not something the average person could really figure out for themselves. No, I mean, it, it takes quite a bit of work, and we have lots of relationships with all of these ETF firms. You know, in my prior life, I helped create, or not prior life, prior career, helped create some ETF firms. So I, I got to see firsthand how they work and how the processes take place. But I am a big proponent that what we thought ETFs were when they first came out, which was, hey, here's a single cheap investment that I can buy and leave alone, and it'll do just fine, and I'll get market returns. That's all still true if you just go buy the original ones and you don't touch your money for 40 years. I, however, don't believe that all of us can leave 100% of our money in the S&P 500 for 40 years. And therefore, you need access to good advisors who can help navigate the uh, benefits and detractors in this index world. Another area you look at are uh, fixed income or bond funds. What are some of the discrepancies that you see in ETFs in the bond fund world? Okay, so if your listeners take anything away from today, it's knowing this. A bond ETF will not behave like a bond. That is extremely important for people to be aware of. Right? When, when people bought treasuries, let's say you went out and bought a million-dollar treasury, it's going to mature at a million dollars. It's not 100% guaranteed, but it's pretty close. Um, if you go out and you buy a million dollars of a treasury ETF, they're going to go out and buy treasuries, but the structure of the index means that that ETF is not going to ever mature back at a million dollars. It's going to perpetually buy more and more treasuries. So it's going to fluctuate based on interest rates, based on demand. The number one performing position in our fund last year was a ETF of zero coupon bonds. They're essentially the longest tr duration treasuries you can own. Uh, we didn't own it for the full year, but the full year return on that particular ETF, and remember, it, all it owned was treasuries. Last year, it returned about 45%. Because interest rates fell so much. Go down. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, Jordan? That's because interest rates fell so sharply. Yes. Yes. Um, now, if you own so a regular By bond, going into that zero, by going to zero, you were, you were predicting interest rates are going to fall sharply. So we bought it to hedge deflation. Um, uh -huh. We always have a role in our portfolio of hedging out deflation, and it worked very, very well. It worked better than we ever expected. But I guess my whole point is buying a Treasury ETF does not guarantee your principal, and there could be a time in the near future where investors who think they're in something extremely safe wake up to a negative 20% return. Speaking about, speaking about people that are safe, let's go the opposite direction. There are also these inverse and leveraged ETFs out there, which are two and three times the underlying index, both positively bull and negative bear. Do you think those in general are a good way to play trends if people are willing to take some risk? So to me, those are investments for people that want to trade. Um, there are ways to buy and hold them, but it's in a very dynamic portfolio that has rule sets and things like that. The inefficiency that exists with leveraged and inverse uh, ETFs is very simple. 
they reset daily. By resetting daily, you're compounding off a different base each day. So if I start today with $100 and I lose 10%, I need to make 11 tomorrow to get back to even. So in volatile environments, you could own both the three times long something and three times short something, and you're not going to have a neutral return. You're actually going to have a very negative rate of return. Um, and that was what really surprised a lot of people in 2008. These are great tools. However, they're sharp knives. They're not uh, uh, a utility spoon. I see. Very good. All right. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Michael Venuto. He's the chief investment officer at Toroso Investments. You can find out more about all the mutual funds and the ETFs we were talking about at his website, which is torosoinv.com, T-O-R-O-S-O-I-N-V.com. So thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show. We really appreciate it very much, Michael. Thank you, Jordan. And thank you, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.